Join Edwin Frondozo on the Business Leadership Podcast every week for a unique program featuring insights and actionable items from the world's most successful business leaders. Hear firsthand the exclusive interviews and personal journeys on how today's transformational leaders made it to the top. Knowing that happiness is really important, both in terms of your health and your longevity and your relationships and your business. Happiness isn't separate from any of those things. It really is a part of all of it. And knowing that prioritizing happiness is not a selfish thing. It's actually one of the most selfless things you can do. And one of the most significant or impactful things you can do in order to thrive in your business and in your personal relationship. This is the Business Leadership Podcast and I'm your host, Edwin Frondozo. Welcome. How are you doing today? Thank you for taking your time to join us today. This is episode number 112, and my guest today is Dr. Jillian Manrich. She has a PhD from Western University in health science, and her primary areas of research are happiness and health. She is a TEDx and keynote speaker, appears regularly as the resident happiness expert on the social and breakfast television. I am so excited to share the conversation we had on happiness. I mean, it's such a fascinating topic where we discuss the key practices or behaviors that we can do that are going to affect our daily lives, find out whether we are born happy, and how much control we have over our happiness. This episode is brought to you by Slingshot VoIP, a leader in business voice AI systems that enables companies to understand what the customers are saying when they're calling in. The Business Leadership Podcast is a friend of the ITWC Podcast Network and supported by our media partner, IT World Canada. Thank you to those who have left a rating and comment on Apple Podcasts. I really appreciate it. This latest one from S.L. And they write, As a young professional, I find this podcast so helpful The podcast has a variety of experts from different industries, and each episode is packed with valuable tips, actionable steps, and great discussions. Thank you, S.L. I really appreciate your time. So when you do decide to rate and leave a review, I will read it out on the next following episodes. Now, here we go. Welcome to the Business Leadership Podcast, Jillian. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Well, I am super excited, really happy, um, and we'll get into the into that in a bit. Uh, to have you here, I know just a quick side note and history of how Jillian and I met. Um, she actually, I met her in a mastermind group that she was invited to, and she was talking about uh, about happiness and her work, and we'll get more into it. So I'm really excited to have you, Jillian, but why don't we, I guess, start off by introducing yourself. Tell us who you are and what you like to do when you're not growing and spreading the word of happiness. Yes. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for having me. I'm Jillian Manich, as you said, and I, I research happiness, which is work and it's also fun. Because what I'm most interested in is like, how do we live the best life possible? 
And so for me, I don't see a ton of separation between my work and my play because I research a lot of things around happiness and then they apply, I apply them to my life. So a lot of the things that I do in my spare time are things that make me happy. So I love hiking. I'm a big forager. I love foraging and like mushroom hunting out in the forest, one of my favorite pastimes to do, or go out looking for spring water. And uh, I love yoga. I've done a few yoga teacher trainings over the years because I just, I love how connected I can be to my body with the mind, the body, and the breath in yoga. And I'm, I'm the oldest of seven kids in my family. So I, uh, I have wow. three, three sisters, three brothers. So I have a Really, family is really important to me, and we're super close. And yeah, big family, not common these days. <laughs> yeah, are you are you in the, on the are you the eldest, youngest? Where do you, where do you sit there, Jillian? I'm the oldest. Wow, yeah. wow! So, so you have a lot of responsibility. It seems maybe you didn't have a childhood. I, you know what? It's it's so funny because I feel like I've raised children already. <laughs> and I was the most qualified babysitter ever growing up. <laughs> and you know, I was actually even entrepreneurial back then because what I used to do when I babysat because I was so qualified was I would get couples that were going out together to bring all their kids to one house and I would babysit them all because I knew that they were all looking for babysitters and usually they kind of share friends share babysitters. So I would invite them all so the kids could have a sleepover. So they were happy. And then I charged the parents individually. So you I are, happy. you are, you are like the unlicensed daycare. It sounds like. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> I only say that because I have a two and a half year old daughter. I mean, she's almost turning three. So when this airs and might, oh. she might be three already, but it's just like, Oh, it sounds like Jillian was doing something illegal. No, I'm just kidding. Yeah. <laughs> or, but it's entrepreneurial. So uh, I think, I think that's amazing. So, so awesome. That's that's kind of cool, actually. Um, why don't we just start in? I know you just quickly mentioned it, but why don't you tell us a bit about your work, yeah. um, maybe how you got into doing research about happiness, and if you can, because you are an entrepreneur, like what are you trying to accomplish over the next little while, let's say six, 12 months? Mm-hmm. So yes, I have a PhD uh, from Western University uh, in in health science and I research happiness. So oftentimes I'll tell people, you know, I have a PhD, I have a PhD in happiness or I research happiness. And then they'll kind of like tilt their head and like wonder, is that a real thing? So if that's you right now, yes, it is a real thing. I um, I am most interested, like I said earlier, about living the best life possible. And so my research always has been, um, and my passion and my interest has always been around health and wellness. So I did an undergraduate degree at Western University studying health science. And then like most people that were good at science, the plan, you go to med school. And so I kind of went down that path. And then when it came time to go to med school, like something in my gut didn't feel right. So I decided to work for a year and then go to med school. And during that year of work, I ended up uh, at the health unit in London, Ontario, where I'm from, researching um parent and family and child uh, obesity interventions. Mm -hmm. So I started learning a lot about obesity. So I thought, oh, you know what? I really love science and I'm really interested in the research because for me, like thinking up questions, learning questions, and then testing them out was something that was really interesting. So I started studying childhood obesity. I have a master's degree in child and youth health where I was studying physical activity, sedentary behaviors, nutrition, all around kids and obesity. And then when I went into my PhD, I was continuing on this obesity research path And then I started really kind of thinking about what I was doing. And I was realizing that our health is about so much more than just a number on a scale. And in order to qualify or to be um, eligible for a childhood obesity intervention, a child had to have a BMI, so their body mass index, had to be above the 85th percentile for their age and gender. 
And I kind of was thinking about that and thinking, well, you know, it's kind of feels weird because what if someone comes and their BMI is the 84th percentile? Does that mean I can't help them? And, and I knew from like my own lived experience that the number on a scale isn't directly a indication of health necessarily. So I started, I uh, took a step back and was like looking at my research and figuring out, you know, what's important. At the same time, I was an aunt to two. I now have four nieces and nephews and they weren't overweight or obese. And so I thought my research will never help them. So I went into the literature um, looking at what impacts health. And what I was surprised to find was that happiness is highly correlated with health. And oftentimes when you compare happy people to less happy people, they tend to have better health outcomes. And they so things like cardio, lower rates of cardiovascular disease, they heal faster from injury, they have stronger immune systems, they sleep better. And then also happiness acts like a buffer to help mitigate some of, you know, like if you're feeling stressed or anxious or, or feelings of depression, it, it kind of lessens the severity or the impact that they have on both a, a mental and a physiological level. So I thought, you know what, if I want to study health and I want to do, learn about something that really is potent and is encompassing of everybody, regardless of uh, the number that we see when we step on a scale, regardless of our age, regardless of our gender, regardless of anything, happiness is universal. And so I kind of switched gears and have for the past several years been researching happiness and learning ways that we can improve our happiness in, in as a byproduct. Oftentimes what we see, I see it in my own data and in the research, you also end up having health outcomes, positive health outcomes too. Yeah, no, that's amazing. And what I what what I found interesting, and maybe you could get into this a bit more, Jillian, is when you got into the field of happiness or researching happiness or the happiness field. I don't even know what to call you right now. <laughs> You're Doctor Happy. Um, what was interesting? What I remember you talking about is that happiness hasn't been studied for a very long time. Can Can you get into that a bit? Yes, absolutely. I'm glad you brought this up because. This was something I was really shocked to learn. So the first ever peer-reviewed scientific manuscript, like publication in a scientific journal that talked about happiness was published in 1980, which isn't really that long ago if you start to think about it. Mm-hmm. And this is, this is sort of like when you take a step back and you look at it now, it seems obvious. And yet at the time, up until 1980, we never studied what was going right and how could we learn from that. The mentality was more what's going wrong, what are the diseases or the diseases that are going on, and how do we make them better? So really, and if, if you were to, if, um, if I was to show you a graph of the number of scientific publications on happiness, you've seen this exponential curve upwards in terms of the number of publications year after year, because I think more than ever, we're starting to recognize that our uh, the happiness is a really important part of our life. And it's something that we all want to cultivate more of in our life. And in order to do that, we can actually take research and learn more about it in order to, to bring more happiness into our lives and the lives of people around us. And from, from, from the sounds of it and how you sort of pivoted in your career to happiness, I mean, working on yourself, working on, just your well-being and your happiness, that is the best preventive science that you could probably do for, for the most part of your, for, for everything you do in your life. Is that what you're finding in your research? Yeah, you know, absolutely. I, I think at the end of the day, uh, we can use research and, and science to help inform our, um, our daily activities, to help guide us, to help as a navigation tool to figure out, you know, what are the best things for us. 
And at the same time, we're sort of a student of our body and our body's our best teacher. And when you look at something like happiness, for example, even though happiness is universal in terms that we all kind of want it, and I, I don't even really need to define happiness for you listening right now because we intuitively know what it is. At the same time, happiness is very different for different people and at different times. And so this is where uh, the research can really come in and to help us because we can start to learn what are those key practices or behaviors or things that we can do that are going to have a really potent effect, both in terms of of our day-to-day life, our work, our relationships, our family, our health, all of those things. Because one of the things I love so much about happiness is how far reaching the effects are. So what I mean by that is like, for example, if I taught you uh, how to eat healthy, that would be one skill in one area where you get your nutrition and you learn that. When I teach you about how to be happy, the effects of that can be seen in how you show up for work. They can be seen in how you treat your, your family or your friends. It can be seen in how you think, in, in how you act, in the, the activities that you choose to do. Like It really is something that extrapolates into every area of our life. And so when we can kind of dig into the science around it and learn about how we can use that information to help us navigate, that's when we can kind of really use this positive psychology or the science of happiness to inform to inform our lives. Yeah, no, that's great. One thing um, I wanted to bring up and maybe get your thoughts on this. It's something you had shared that night, Jillian. It was there was a there was a, a pie graph about mm. happiness and and what affects your happiness in terms of in terms of your life, can you share some of the surprising or maybe not surprising, depending on <laughs> who's listening? I remember thinking about, you know, what affects, um, you know, who I am and genetics mm-hmm. and stuff like that. Yes, uh, this is a great point because oftentimes, you know, when I tell someone, oh, yeah, I research happiness, they'll say, OK, well, I'm I'm just not a really happy person or I'm a more a glasses half full kind, or half full or half empty kind of person. And I think sometimes the story that we have in our head is that people are either born happy or they're not, and that we don't really have a lot that we can do to control our happiness. And actually, if you look back in the research, they used to kind of look at this set point idea of happiness, where you kind of have a level and it fluctuates up and down, but you always kind of go back to your baseline level of happiness. And more and more of the data that's emerging is, <clears throat> is suggesting that, no, there's actually a big part of our happiness that's within our control and that we can above environment and genetics impact our happiness. And then it kind of gets interesting because it's really hard to figure out, well, how much of that do we have control over? Because when you start to look at genetics versus environment, it's hard to tease out which is genetics and which is environment because they're so related. Uh, So what researchers were able to do was take genetically identical twins that were separated at birth. And then you can start to learn a little bit more about the difference between environment and genetics because you have two people that are genetically identical that were raised in different environments. So from this data set, uh, what researchers found was that about 50% of our happiness is genetically determined. So about half of our capacity for happiness is what our parents gave us. So, you know, if you're listening right now, you can thank your parents or not. That's (laughs) kind of the reality of what's going on. And when I say that, I don't mean that like some people have zero, right? Like we all have some capacity and just some people are genetically predisposed to be happier. That's true. And that only accounts for at most half of our capacity. So then we have this other piece of the pie, which is like our environment, our our sort of where we live, where we work, our day-to-day kind of environment. And that only accounts for about 10% of our happiness. 
Were you surprised when I told you that? I was super surprised. I mean, because a lot of people live in, uh, you know, their own environment and that's all they see, yeah. right? And then that's where the maybe the vision or the limiting beliefs come in, like where you're sitting, right? Yes, absolutely. And it seems like, like when I read that the first time, I really had to like do a triple look to make sure I read that number right. Cause I was like, wait a minute, what if, what if I don't like my job? What if I'm really frustrated with my relationship status right now? What if my kid's going through the terrible twos and drives me crazy every day? <laughs> what about what, these things that we have in our life? that we think or traffic, you know, I just moved to Toronto not too long ago and now I'm learning about traffic and, uh, and how frustrating that can be. And I'm thinking to myself, this is really affecting my happiness having to sit and like parked on the highway. But what happens is when you kind of unpack it a little bit, what's really interesting is that humans, we are very adaptive creatures and sometimes we're not as good at assessing what's going on as what is actually going on because we're biased because we're living our life. Mm -hmm. So there's this concept in psychology called hedonic adaptation. And what that teaches us is that we're adaptive creatures and we get used to our environment around us. And so it doesn't affect us as much as we may think it does. Like for example, if you are listening right now and you've ever lived next to a train, like a train track, Mm -hmm. when you first move in, you hear the train go by like all the time and it drives you crazy. And then after a while, you don't even hear the train go by anymore because you get used to it. So even though that same train is going by every single day, we adapt. The same thing happens with our environment. And because we live our life every day, some of those seemingly um, things that we think might actually bother us in terms of the amount of impact that they have, our body's kind of used to it. It's like if your kid's misbehaving because they're going through terrible twos, they're going through it every day. So yes, it's annoying. And in terms of the overall effect, it's not nearly what we think. So the coolest part of all of this is, so I talked about how 50% is genetic, about 10% is environment. We're still left with 40%. So beyond our environment, beyond our genetics, there's still a huge piece of that happiness equation that we haven't talked about. And that's the piece that is within our control. So that's the skill-based learned behavior element of happiness. That's the part that no matter where you work, no matter how much money you make, no matter any of those things, that's the piece that's up to each and every one of us to cultivate in order to increase our happiness. And so as someone who researches happiness, what my research focuses on is that 40%, because that it's really, really hard to change genetics. <laughs> um, if not impossible, I guess you could change the gene expression. It's very difficult to change environment. And the thing that you can impact the easiest out of those is your actions day to day. And so what I do for my research is I teach skills that are highly correlated with happiness that will then boost happiness. How are you enjoying the conversation with Jillian? Thinking about happiness, do you ever get that feeling in the pit of your belly right before checking your email? You know that feeling of dread, wondering how many new unread email messages are waiting for you? I used to have it till I develop a system that allows me to free myself from that inbox anxiety and to achieve inbox zero. I wrote a short ebook to share the strategies and tools that I currently use to achieve inbox zero every single day. The ebook is absolutely free and no email is required. I just wanted to share my system to every single one of you so that you could feel the exact same way. Simply go to my Facebook group, 
at thebusinessleadership.com slash FB group or search for The Business Leadership Group directly in Facebook. I am excited for you. But now, let's get back to the discussion with Jillian. Can you share a couple of things that you found in your research, Jillian, that that really helps someone with their thoughts or their actions? Like what could someone listening today and really buying into this right now, like what can they change today? And this could be different for everyone, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I love that you said it can be different for everyone because the reality is it is different for everyone. So I'll share a couple tips. And as you listen, just try them on. And some of them might connect with you and some of them won't. And that's totally okay because they're all not going to work for everybody. And where the kind of personal responsibility piece lies is listening to different behaviors or skills that are highly correlated with happiness, and then try them for yourself and see what works best for you. Because even me, someone that has a PhD that researches happiness, I can't tell you what to do to be happy. I can share with you evidence, but at the end of the day, it's up to each and every one of us to take some ownership and some some leadership within ourselves in order to to learn and to figure out what for us makes us happy because we're individual as humans. We're all different. And so what makes us happy will be different from person to person. That being said, there are some skills that we look at in the research that can have a really positive impact on our happiness. One of them that I think is really key, especially um, in business and as leaders, is to recognize that the way we think about happiness is wrong <laughs> because we often... and we do this a lot on a, on a subconscious level. We think I will be happy when fill in the blank, when I make X amount of dollars, when I have X number of people in my company, when I sell my company for whatever, when I 10 X this, we think that when we get somewhere, wherever that is, then we will be happy. When in fact, all of the research suggests that happiness is a practice. It's something that we need to do day after day after day. It's not something that is arrived at. So it's not a destination. It's more a means to a life well lived. So then when we can kind of recognize that it starts to reshift the way we think about happiness. Like I I think um, I shared with this example with you before, like you would never go to the gym and have like the best workout of your life (laughs) and then leave the gym and be like, okay, I've reached fitness. I'm good. I never need to exercise again because I've reached fitness. Like we would never think that way. And yet with happiness, for some reason, we seem to have this way of thinking where we think we will be happy when something happens or when we get this. And so number one, rethinking happiness and recognizing that it's a practice. It's just like fitness. It's just like good nutrition. We need to do it over and over and over and over again. So that's, that's a big one. Now, out of all of the things that I've seen in terms of the data that I've collected with my research participants, consistently, the number one thing that comes up uh, that people say was the most effective is practicing gratitude. Mm-hmm. And what I mean, have you ever practiced gratitude before? I do. I practice gratitude. And I actually, just to share, um, I started doing a gratitude practice with my family, with my daughter. She's two Ooh. and a half. And every morning, every evening before we sleep, I said, what are you grateful for? At, at first, um, she would just play along. But now she's getting a little creative she would mm. she would think of someone in her class or she usually starts with the same thing that mama and tato tato's father in slovak uh came home today and then she starts thinking it's it's an amazing practice and uh, i wanted to share that at this point because oh. you brought it up i love that and you know what i think 
uh, that especially if you're a parent or have some influence on a child or a teenager these days, a lot of times I get asked like, what do we do to help them be happy? And as parents or as caregivers of children or youth, one of the best things we can do is to help create habits for them Mm -hmm. that, that can encourage happiness. And by, as a family creating this routine where every day you talk about things you're grateful for, that's a really really um, powerful way to ingrain that behavior or that habit in your daughter at such a young age, because she will continue that well, as she grows up. Well, we hope so, right? <laughs> yeah. Because yeah. Mm-hmm. starting to pattern the behavior younger is always a really good idea, because especially for children and youth, you have that window of opportunity where they're very impressionable. And so the other thing that's really cool about that is that when we think about gratitude, and when I say practicing gratitude, What I mean is taking time every day to reflect on things that you're grateful for. So that could look like having a family conversation where you talk about things you're grateful for. It could be writing them down, you know, taking a minute to write down, say, three things that you're grateful for in a journal or even just on a blank page or if you want to download an app. And in like a good, better, best situation, the best in terms of having the most potent effect or most profound effect on your happiness, writing it down is more potent than thinking about it. And thinking about it is still good. So if you're laying in bed at the end of the day and you're like, oh no, I forgot to practice gratitude, take two seconds and think about what you're grateful for. And if you look in terms of the research, it doesn't matter what questions you ask in terms of you're grateful. So if you're asking what things am I grateful for that happened today or what parts of my body am I grateful for or who in my life am I grateful for? The question in terms of what you're grateful for doesn't matter. What does matter is how specific and detailed you get with your response. So I'm, I'm grateful I had a good day would not be as powerful as I'm grateful because today I had an amazing conversation and I really connected with someone and I really learned like getting more descriptive and detailed. That's where the magic is in terms of, in terms of gratitude. Why do you, why do you think it's like that though, Jillian? Cause I know, I, I know being more specific for everything, even as an entrepreneur mm-hmm. and intentions and everything, I've been learning more and more and especially talking to other business leaders. It's, it's really being as specific as you can. It's like really asking God or, or the universe exactly what you want or exactly what you're grateful for. Right. Yeah. And I think too, there's a lot of in the details. That's when you, even if you think about forming a memory, when you're trying to remember something, when you start getting more detailed and pay attention, it helps to solidify that memory more. And so I think especially when we look at at gratitude and getting detailed around it, we start to connect more with the feeling. You get beyond that superficial level into that sort of more deeper, more meaningful, more lasting feeling level. And so by getting detailed, it kind of inherently creates an opportunity for you to do that. No, this is awesome. Um, I'm just grateful for this conversation with Jillian today. <laughs> this, is, this is amazing. Um, I wanted to just ask you in terms of for those who are listening or maybe what you're finding from your research or when you're out there talking with people or spreading the, the word of happiness, like what are you finding that people are having difficulties with with the concept or even this mind shift that you're talking about as a practice yeah so there's a couple things that come up one um is that when i tell someone i research happiness a lot of times they'll kind of look at me and like tilt their head and they'll be like oh that's so cute (laughs) right because i think sometimes we don't give happiness the significance or the importance that i would argue we 
would be well served to do. What I mean by that is that if I asked you right now, let's do it. If I asked you right now, like to write down or to think about what are those areas of your life that you think you can focus on to improve your health, right? So people will often make a list of like, get more sleep, exercise more, eat better, drink less, those kind of things. Usually when I ask people at the top of that list is not be happier. And yet if you unpack it and you look at what's driving pretty much every behavior, every action that we have, it's our desire to be happy on some level. And so I think, especially now that we're starting to bring more science to it and we're able to study it and see just how impactful and important and significant happiness is in terms of living um, a healthy life, a long life, happy people as compared to unhappy people live longer than, so even in terms of longevity, in terms of health, in terms of all of that, it's so significant. And yet I don't think we really can, we don't really appreciate that as much. It just and the other thing is oh go ahead oh, sorry go ahead no I'm just saying it just blows my mind that us as a society um, maybe lost track or it's on the superficial of of the goals right mm-hmm. so that that's what was really interesting when I when I first met you Jillian and you talked about that it was just like how did we lose track about this because um, before I before we continue I mean you your fun fact that you shared I think I shared it like five times in terms mm, of the the pursuit of happiness. Oh, yes. Like, yes, we should come back and share that on here. It's good, right? Yeah. So, I mean, you're probably better better suited for it. But, uh, I mean, uh, it, it was that. It, and it seemed like the knowledge was there before. Yeah. You know, it's so interesting. If we look back at, like, something and it was always there in front of us, you know, we just didn't really realize it. Or we haven't had that aha moment or it's talked about. But even with happiness, like, we're told all the time, be happy, be happy. And if you ask a parent what they want for their kids, the number one thing they'll say is, I want my kids to be happy. And yet, we're never formally taught how to be happy. We go to school, we learn math, we learn science, we learn geography. Nobody ever teaches us how to be happy. And then when we're not happy, we wonder why not, <laughs> right? So it's kind of this funny situation where we're just told, it's, it'd be like, for example, like, be, be more brave, mm-hmm. be courageous. Well, how do I do that? <laughs> Exercise. Okay, how do I do that? What, what do I need to do? We're not, so with happiness... It's kind of this, and I think that's why more and more, even now, like you go to bookstores, there's a whole section of books about happiness because there is this hunger and this desire to learn about it. And I think more than ever, we're starting to recognize how important that is. Even uh, the research study that I just finished at Western University, I needed to recruit 60 undergraduate students from my university in order to have enough um, enough participants to get a good sample size to do my, my power calculations. And... I sent out one one email to all the undergrads at Western saying, do you want to be in a study to learn to be happier? And I had 1,282 students respond. Wow. And I needed 60. So to me, that was a really, uh, really highlighted how much there is a hunger for it. Because we we really want it and we just don't know exactly how to go about doing it. Yeah, that's that's amazing. Well, I'm really glad that uh, that you're leading the charge here, Jillian. Um, I just want to get maybe a couple of questions in terms of you as you know the work you're doing as you're building up mm-hmm. your business, your leadership, thought mm-hmm. leadership as well. Can you think back um, in terms of a difficult decision that you had to make, Jillian, that allowed you to personally grow? Yeah. There's a lot of those. <laughs> um, I think one of them, I, I was married for five years 
And, um, and I have an amazing ex-husband who, um, you know, after five years, we had this really adult conversation about what are our goals, what are our priorities, which they both shifted for both of us with, since we got married. Mm-hmm. And we decided that it was better for us to separate and, and to sort of end our marriage as compared to just staying in a relationship. We were both very happy and yet we wanted different things. And so we recognized that in order, and especially as someone who was researching happiness, it's so important to me that I really put into place and I, I try and I live what I'm learning in the science and in my data. And so sometimes it can be a really difficult decision to, to end a relationship, especially when there's nothing really wrong with it other than we kind of have different priorities and wanted different things. So you could try to make it work, but it just it wasn't feeling right for us. And we had this really adult conversation around that. And I think that it's a very difficult thing and it's a very scary thing, whether you're ending a, a relationship or a business relationship, sometimes endings and starting again can be very scary. And so I think that looking back, it was a very difficult thing. And at the same time, if we don't do those difficult things, and if we don't get really honest with ourselves and have the courage to make those difficult transitions and to do that kind of stuff, the alternative is that we live a life not to our full capacity. And so that's one of the things that more than ever, I learned from that was just really how important it is to honor where we at, to respect where we've come from, and to always be continually checking in with ourselves and making sure that we're being honest with ourselves. And that for me, I use happiness as a compass to navigate through life because I know that happiness isn't a destination and I do want to be happy. And so what I can do is make decisions day to day that are happiness inducing or promoting. And so sometimes those difficult decisions at the time can feel really difficult. And then when you look back, they are sort of at the bigger top level, really moving the needle forward in terms of where you want to go and what kind of life you want to create. Well, I appreciate you sharing that story. And I know being a lot of business leaders that I spoke to, they talk about those very difficult, um, quote unquote, breakups. It could be business partners. It could be key executives on their team and and not to say that you're going to get married a million times but (laughs) what they find that the more and more they're able to like you said be truthful to 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 your thoughts and the team and the direction um the little easier it is for both parties right yeah exactly um jillian can you share anything that you're currently doing that allows you to continually grow and develop as as you grow as a business leader yes you know so I've, I've been in school for a post-secondary education for over a decade <laughs> to get a PhD. And I just, I just defended my PhD at the end of 2018. And so as soon as I finished school, I thought, yay, because I, I always say that I feel like doing a PhD is like having gingivitis. It's like this low-grade chronic infection where you always have work to do. <laughs> it, it doesn't really annoy you, but it's always there and it's kind of annoying. You know, like that. So when I finished school, I thought, okay, this is great. Like now I'm done like school. I'm done studying. And what I realized is that for me, education is like oxygen, whether it be like a formal training, like when I was paying tuition and being at a university, my learning has not stopped since I finished my PhD. If anything, I've been learning more. And so I think that as a leader and as someone it's that commitment to continually learning that is a really critical element in terms of growth and in terms of showing up um, the best that you can for your work and for your relationships. Because for me, even 
learning about happiness or happiness related topics is really important. At the same time, learning about communication and how do I be uh, better at communication with my partner, for example, or how like there's all sorts of different areas of opportunity for learning. But I think if you look consistently across high performers and across people that are really quote unquote like successful in terms of what they've accomplished, this desire, this hunger, or this um, ability to continually learn is one of those skills that that's common across everybody. And then we sort of take what we learn and we apply it to our life and we use that to grow and, and to be better. Mm, that's great. Got a fun. Yeah. Yeah. I got, sorry. You're a learner, a lifelong learner. Oh my God. I mean, this podcast allows me to yeah. learn from amazing people and, and I love, I just love, I just love learning. I, I geek out all the time. <laughs> I got, I got a fun question, Jillian. If I were to ask um, any of your team members, it could be past, present, colleagues, peers, professors. Um, what's the best leadership quality that Jillian possesses? What do you think they would say? Hmm. I think, okay, if you ask my boyfriend, he would tell you <laughs> that I am very organized. And I think that that isn't necessarily needs to be a key element of leadership. Mm -hmm. And in a lot of, if in a lot of ways, it really has served me well. And if I wasn't a good leader, I probably would have things in place in order to help me. Or if I wasn't super organized in order to be that, because I feel like, especially when I look at the leaders that I've learned the most for, or that I have respect for, they're very clear in their messaging and they're very organized in their thought pattern. They're not super scattered all over the place. Like they have this vision and they're supporting you going along with that vision. And so part of that inherently comes with organization and then also organizing things in new ways. Like a lot of, if I look at creativity and innovation and inspiration and where those things come from, oftentimes looking at the same thing from a different angle or incorporating something from somewhere else and really bringing that together to, to make things or to do things a little bit differently. And so for me, I even, on my website, actually, my about me page, what I did was I took clips from my report card when I was in like elementary school and in kindergarten, and I put them on to sort of describe about me. And I think it was like grade one, my teacher wrote, Jillian organized the book sorting routine for the class. <laughs> so I think since a young age, I've always been very organized. And what that does for me, I have a list book. I, I use Evernote all the time. I'm constantly writing things down. But what I do is creating that organization puts the systems in place that frees up some of my cognitive load to do other things, to think about other things, because I've got that piece kind of written down under control. Well, that's great. I mean, I could get some organization tips from you, Jillian. Um, <laughs> um, <laughs> before we end, I'd love to get maybe some of your final thoughts, observations. Ideally, if you can share any any actionable items that uh, that you can share to the growing business leader who is listening today. Yeah, I think that number one, knowing that happiness is really important, both in terms of your health and your longevity and your relationship and your business. Happiness isn't separate from any of those things. It really is a part of all of it. And knowing that prioritizing happiness is not a selfish thing. It's actually one of the most selfless things you can do. And one of the most significant or impactful things you can do in order to thrive in your business and in your personal relationship. Uh, so when we can kind of recognize that, I think that, and I mean, I shared some tips today in order to boost happiness, but the, the number one thing you can do right now is to start to know and to learn for yourself, what are the things that make you happy and what are the things that don't? And so what you can do is 
just take a day, for example, and check in with yourself, you know, every half an hour or whenever, and notice how do I feel right now? And then as you do different activities throughout the day, when you complete them, check in and say, okay, do I feel more happy or less happy now? And start to then take a look at your day and realize what are the parts of my day that bring me happiness, that make me happier? And what are the parts of my day that don't? And once you kind of have a handle on that, then the question becomes, okay, well, how can I do more of the things that make me happy and less of the things that I don't? And I know that this can sound very like trivial. And at the same time, it's really interesting because we so often are so busy throughout the day that we don't even really take take inventory of how the activities of our daily life are actually making us feel. And if we don't feel happy all the time and we look at our day and we realize, oh, that's because you know about 10% of my activities today made me feel happy. That's why. And then it can kind of be a good place to highlight some of those gaps where you can start to decrease some of those activities that don't make you happy and increase the ones that they do. And I don't mean eliminate altogether because I know, especially when you're building a business or any job that any of us do, there are going to be things that we do that we don't like. That's part of life. And we still can control and try to do more of the things that we do and less of the things that we don't. No, that's right. That's awesome, Jillian. Thank you so much. But to close, can you tell us where we can find more information about you, your work, or anything else you'd like to share with us today? Yeah, absolutely. So my website is a good hub and that's jillianmandich.com and it's Jillian with a G. So it's G-I-L-L-I-A-N-M-A-N-D-I-C-H.com. And then from there, that links to all my social media platforms, which are all at Jillian Mandich on all of them. <laughs> the good news about being Jillian with a G, there's not a lot of us out there. Um, and then also, if you liked some of the tips that I shared today in terms of like evidence-based ways to uh, increase your happiness, I have a quick little sheet on my website. It's totally free. You can download with five um, different tips to boost your happiness. And then for those of you that like to really geek out on the science, what I've done is I've hyperlinked the actual research studies. So if you actually want to get into the data and go look at it and read it, it's there for you. And if not, if you just want that one page sheet with a different list, it's there too. So that's a, sort of a good starting off point in terms of if you're looking for some ways to focus on that 40% that I talked about and how you can boost that. These are some of the most um, impactful ones that I've seen in my research. So it's a totally free download on my website. And yeah, that's that's where all of the stuff that I have going on, that's a good hub, is my website. Well, that's awesome. And Jillian, we'll definitely have a post a link to your website on this episode page so for those who are wondering just check out the episode page but Jillian it's been an absolute pleasure um, and I thank you for joining us on the Business Leadership Podcast thank you so much for having me on today Evan that's it business leaders thank you for joining me on the Business Leadership Podcast episode 112 with Jillian Manrich if you want to learn more about Jillian her work in happiness or anything else we discuss, please go to thebusinessleadership.com slash 112. Please join me in my free private Facebook group where I will discuss this episode, answer your questions, and connect you with other like-minded business leaders. Simply search for the Business Leadership Group directly in Facebook. If you are enjoying this episode, please subscribe, rate, and leave a comment on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, or wherever you're listening to today. Thank you again. Edwin signing off. Thank you for listening to the Business Leadership Podcast at thebusinessleadership.com. Help me.